And so today, Matthew, you're going to need your Bible. So if you don't have your Bible, you can get your Bible app out. Block all your notifications from every other app. No distractions from your Bible app, right? This is the, the thing about this is that there's no distractions from it. But we're going to be in a lot of passages of Scripture, but we're starting out just in Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. Everybody say, I am the light of the world. Now let's say it like we're very excited about that. I am the light of the world. Okay, that was a little better. I get better, you know, responses in kids' ministry, but that's okay. We'll work on it. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I know this sounds like, yeah, I know I'm a light. Well, that's good. But I want us to challenge, to be challenged in a way of really examining how intentional we are about being that light, about sharing that light, about reflecting that light to the world. Because if we're not, I'll tell you, we're going to see what happens as our light can begin to grow dim. And so as, keep that visual of that light shining. Anybody ever, I, I love candles, I love oil lamps. Anybody have one of those old oil lamps with the glass domes? Yeah? We have a couple of them in our house. And I love it because they're such warming lights. But what can happen is this, they can turn black. The smokiness of it can turn black. And what is that doing? It's dimming the light that can shine. And so we're just going to be looking at some different things today that will hopefully inspire us to examine our hearts, examine our lifestyle, to say, am I living with the purpose of shining the light? We know that we are the light, but are we living with the purpose of sharing the light? Okay, so we're going to look at a few passages, and the first one I'm going to get you started going there is in 1 Samuel 25. There are a lot of effects of light. Light does a lot. If we did not have the sun here, we would not exist, right? And so there's a lot of effects of light in our day-to-day -day life, okay? One of them, what do we think of if you're in grade school, photosynthesis, right? We need light to produce food. And so light produces fruitfulness. What was the end of this verse in Matthew 5? It says, let your light shine so that they may see your good works. And so light should produce a fruitfulness, in the case of what Jesus was saying, good works, right? And so light produces good works. It produces fruitfulness. Good fruit, not bad fruit. 
And so I have an example that I want to read, and this one is going to take us a little bit to read, but I want to read through this. When I was thinking about somebody that was a person of light, this may not be an obvious choice to you, but this is one of my, anybody that has ever done any person-to-person, one-on-one counseling has probably had me give them this example because I think it is so powerful. And I think of this woman as a woman of light. And so this is the story of the account of Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. And so we're going to start in verse 2, and we're just going to read through this because it's such an interesting account. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I'm envisioning the noise level right there. Goat or sheep are very noisy. (laughs) And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers, Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. So this is a time when David was out in the wilderness, and so as he was camped out near here, all of Nabal's men who were out taking care of the sheep, it was like David was a wall around them, guarding them and protecting them, and no harm was coming. So he really had done this good deed for Nabal. And so then he said, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. So David is asking for some provisions from him. And so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told David all these words. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, or did we miss anything, as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. 
They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. There's no reasoning with Nabal. He's, he's so evil, such a scoundrel. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, wine, sheep, roasted grain, raisins, figs, and she loads them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there was David and his men. And David said, Surely in vain I have protected this fellow in the wilderness, and, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So David was out to slaughter this household. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey and fell on her face before him. She fell at his feet, and she says, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. Wow. This is the, what a picture of Jesus. Abigail did nothing to deserve this, but she's laying claim to the iniquity. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please, my Lord, do not regard the scoundrel Nabal. For, his, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men that you sent. Now, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men. Forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. So she's calling David to the man that he truly is, a man that has an honorable calling, not a calling of revenge. And so in verse 28, or 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. She's talking about Saul. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. She's taking him back to that first victory that, he, that David had with Goliath. She's taking him back to that point. This is who you are, David. You are the defender of God, not the defender of yourself. And it shall come to pass when, my, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you. As, so she's saying, hey, you got to remember you're going to be king. And you need to live your life like you're a king and not just some common guy living in the wilderness. That's so powerful because that's sometimes, I'm getting a little off here, but sometimes we forget who we are. 
We forget that we have been set as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we live as though we're peasants when we're royalty. We're part of the royal priesthood. We forget that, and God's got to remind us and bring us back to that. And David says down in verse 32, Bless, he says to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. This is what I'm saying. This is a woman of light. There was a darkness that had come into David and selfishness and self-promotion and self-defense, and she shines the light of God and exposes where his heart is at and brings him back into walking in the light. For indeed, as... a as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light. This is what I was going to do, Abigail. I was going to kill everybody by morning. You kept me from that. So David received her gift and said, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. <laughs> He's heeded the voice of light. He's respected the person of light. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And his heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. And therefore, she didn't say anything. She was a woman of wisdom and understanding, and she knew about timing. This was not a good time to address him. But in the morning, when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Then after that, after 10 days, the Lord struck him and he died. Wow. When David heard that Nabal had died, what did he do? But he went back. And he says in verse 39, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And so this woman who lives, see, this is where we have a lot. I can really justify things. I am very good at justification. <laughs> if I want something bad enough, I can really, I'm pretty creative, and I can really come up with some good justifications as to why I should do this, especially when I'm fasting. Oh, man, I can come up with reasons why I should be breaking my fast, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter that anything, I can come up with great justifications to do what I want to do. And, and David, in this, case, in this case, really by rights, there was cause for him to retaliate. But that's not enough reason, is it? Because God calls us to this place that is higher than what is deserving or what is excusable. He calls us to his way of doing things. And David had a way that was, he was supposed to live. And he was not living it. And so what, 
This happened to David before with Bathsheba. Remember, he took another man's wife as his own. This is Solomon's mother. And it wasn't until the prophet came and exposed light to David and exposed the truth that David repented. And here, Abigail's doing the same thing. She is being a light in the darkness that had come into his soul. And so when we are talking about being um, the, a light, there should be this fruitfulness. There was th- this good work that Abigail did. She had every reason to be depressed. She had every reason to feel like she was, uh, I, I mean, she was a woman to begin with in this culture, and then to be married to this foolish man to be entrapped in this place. It would be very easy to say, yeah, I can see why you would be depressed, Abigail. I can see why you would feel hopeless. I can see why you didn't love your life. And yet, here she is, being a light to the darkness that had come into David. And so there should be a result of good works and fruitfulness because we are light. Light produces it. And following up with that, part of that is the exposure of truth. Where light is, you know, the one thing, here's the truth. When I have people into my house for a meal, often it can be on a Sunday afternoon in the light of day. What I prefer is to have people in my house in the evening where there's soft lighting and darkness, and they're not going to see the dirty, you know, floorboard. They're not going to see the cobwebs or maybe that bit of dust. I really prefer to extend hospitality in the evening under the cloak of darkness. Light exposes, and there's no hiding my housekeeping abilities in the light of day. That's truth, isn't it? Light exposes. Light exposes the true state of things. And for us to be lights, it, it, it brings about an exposure culturally, spiritually. It, 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 when the light is shining, there's nothing that cannot be hidden. It's all lit up. And I, when, I, when I think of this, I was thinking of the woman that was caught in adultery. And everybody, all of the men wanted to stone her to death, remember? In John chapter 8. And finally, Jesus looks up and says, He that is without sin, you cast the first stone. And, and then at the end, Jesus says to her, after the men all have left, he looks at her and asks where her accusers are. There are none, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn. Go and sin no more. And then he finishes up saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so true salvation comes with the truth of light. He, 
he said to this woman, go, I see your sin. I'm not denying your sin. I see it. But I'm not condemning it. Go sin no more. I've shown the light on your life. I see it. But I don't condemn. I've come to save. Go and sin no more. And so there's power in this. This, um, in areas of relational conflict, this is huge because people don't want to deal with their conflict with one another. And I'll tell you, it's not biblical. It is not biblical to not deal with your conflict that you have with the brother and sister that is in this room with you. If you are offended with one of them, the Bible does not say, well, I don't want to hurt, we don't want you to hurt anybody's feelings, so sweep it under the rug. That's not truth. The truth is, is he calls you to go and to meet with the person and to deal with the conflict and to make things right. If you don't, what happens is it gets bigger and it gets bigger. Darkness feeds it. Darkness feeds the conflict. And it will never be made right by ignoring it. And so Jesus says that we should not walk in darkness, but in light. And so with your relationships, this is where the light gets nitty-gritty. In your relationships, you got to let the light shine on them and expose where there is conflict, where, the, where there's been brokenness in the relationship and make it right. I know nobody likes that, but on the other side of it, there's peace and there's unity. And, and you may never be best friends with that person, but you can worship with an unoffended heart with that person, right? How are we supposed to worship in unity with one another if we're offended with one another? There, there's a schism there. And that is not the way of the light. That is the way of the darkness. That's the way that darkness gets into our hearts and establishes itself there. And you won't have peace of mind you won't have peace of heart or spirit until you live in the truth. That was a little bunny trail. <laughs> but I believe it with all of my heart because so many issues that we've had to deal with in ministry, if it had been dealt with immediately, it would have been so easy. It would have been just plucking a little splinter out. But because it wasn't dealt with immediately, it became this festering wound that now major work has to be done and major healing has to be done. But if the light of truth would just shine on it and deal with it, light can be hard, but it, it's good. It can be hard, but it's good. In fact, in Psalm 90, verse 8, this is a powerful truth about this. It says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. I don't know who we think we're fooling, 
but God sees it all. And, and we think we're hiding from him. Like, we're like Adam and Eve, you know, that just realized, oh, we don't have any clothes on. Let's hide from God. We, we think this way, that we're hiding something from God, when the truth is, is that our secret sin is in the light of his countenance. He sees it. He sees it, and this is the power and the beauty of it, is that in his light, he, we, he sees it, but he's not repulsed by it. He sent his son right into it, <laughs> and he fixed it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's nothing so freeing about being able to be who you are in a relationship with somebody, right? There are some relationships that you feel like, I've got to be this person. But then there are the ones where they know everything about me and I can just be me, right? We much more like those. And this is the way it is with God. We try to sometimes be somebody that we think he wants us to be. And the whole time he knows who we are. We're not fooling him. And if we would just let the light of his countenance shine on us and deal with it and make it right with him, you would enjoy being in his presence much more. You would be comfortable there. You would be at peace there. You would enjoy it because you know he sees you. He knows you. And yet he still loves you. He still loves me. And so effects of light are that it produces good, good works and it exposes truth. And this is a powerful one that we often don't think about unless you study the body and the effects of the sun and, and the rhythms of your physical body and the effect that it has on your sleeping patterns, on, on, on your mental state, on your physical well-being is all connected to the sun, the light of the sun. And in the same way, these rhythms affect us spiritually. The light of the sun of God affects the natural rhythms of our spirituality. Because we have rhythms, we have how many of you, um, like, you know there are certain types of days, like some people do really well with sunny days. Yeah? Uh, three of you. How many of you say, I'm a sunny day person? How many of you say, I'm a rainy day person? There's lesser of us, I think. <laughs> And, and I just had a customer say to me, it was when we had a rainy day last week, it makes me physically nauseous. I'm like, really? I'm kind of really enjoying today, and this is like kind of a great day for me. There's, see, these are natural, there's things in our body's system, rhythms that, things that will make us be high up here, and then recognizing there are just things that are going to, we're going to operate down here. And it's okay, it's just the rhythm of our body that is interacting with the world, with the moon, with, I mean, it's just the truth. There's the energy that God created and our body works within it in the physical realm. And so it is in the spiritual realm. There are rhythms, there are seasons, and the light of God affects it. If you, if you are not exposing yourself to his light, continually on a daily basis, you begin to grow gradually, 
falling deeper into the darkness and into the darkness. And, and the darkness of the world will suck you in, will suck you in, and you get your focus on the darkness of the world. And suddenly you're like, where's the light? And it will affect you spiritually, mentally. And so it affects our, our natural rhythms and it affects our alertness. How many of you have to close off your bedroom windows completely at night so that the sun doesn't wake you in the morning? Some of you do do that. How many of you, you just naturally wake up as soon as the sun comes into your room and it hits you, it awakens you? If you go camping, I guarantee, unless you're faith, faith will sleep through anything. Most people, when you go camping, though, you're like awake as soon as the sun is up. It is like in the tent, it's heating the tent, it's lighting the tent, and you're up and alert. Because the light brings alertness to you. The light, the sunlight does it for you physically, and the light of Jesus does it for you spiritually. It causes you to be alert. And so this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. The call of being a son and a daughter of light and of day is that it brings an alertness to us. We are keeping watch. We are not falling asleep spiritually, but we are alive spiritually. We are alert as to what is happening around us and the day that we are living in and the things that God is doing and the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. The Son of God, the light of God, brings the alertness you need toward those things. And so if it feels like, man, I feel like I've gotten a bit apathetic. I feel like I've gotten a bit sleepy spiritually. I'm not interested. My heart's not turned. You need the light of Jesus to shine upon you again and bring an alertness to your life. We are sons and daughters of light. We are sons and daughters of the day. We need nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Nothing, not even just to play a little bit in it. No, nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. We are children of light and of the day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so the, the light produces good works, exposes truth. It affects your rhythms and your alertness, and it guides. I'm going to quickly move through the, this the last two. We know this one to be truth. You know, you can't walk freely where you can't see the path in front of you. And, and so Jesus says in John 11, he answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. If we're stumbling, we might be touching a little bit too much into the kingdom of darkness. And we might need to come out more fully. Uh, just a quick example. My, my parents 
they don't eat sugar, right? And so my mom, she'll cheat. My mom cheats. Are you confessing to cheating, Gary? <laughs> Any other confessions right now? I'm the person to confess to. <laughs> my mom cheats. My dad, my dad will cheat on two things. He will cheat if he is dropping things off at the coffee shop and he'll eat one of my scones. And he will cheat at Christmas time when I make our zuccherini, our Italian Christmas cookies. I make them uniced for him, and he'll just eat them for two weeks. This is the only thing he cheats on. And people will think he's very legalistic about it. But do you know what he says? He says, I know myself. And as soon as I start cheating, it's a downward spiral for me. And he finds himself living back where he was in the world of sugar. Right? What is he doing? He's touching a little bit into the realm of darkness for him. And pretty soon he finds himself deeper in it than what he ever wanted to be. And so when we're talking about living in the light of day, in the light of the world, nothing. There's no part of the darkness that we want to be a part of. It's okay if it seems a little extreme to your friends. Man, we're not living for that. We, we are living to live in the light and the fullness of the light. And when, what we need when we're walking through the darkness of our world is the guidance of the word, the guidance of the light. In Psalm 119, what is it? We all know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We used to sing it, right? It's the truth. Where there's confusion about your life and where you should go, what you need is the light of his word shining on your path. So the light guides. And, and the last one here, the light attracts. All you need to do is turn your light on your porch on to know this, and suddenly every bug in the neighborhood is there, right? Light attracts. And we see this in the life of Daniel. Remember, Daniel was brought in as a slave into Babylon as a young boy. And he said, well, I'm not going to touch any of your food. He refused to live according to the land of Babylon. And so in Daniel, at one point, the king, Belshazzar, he had seen this writing on the wall, if you remember that account, right? And so he goes to all of his astrologers, all of his wise men, and none of them can discern what this means. And so the king is told about Daniel. So he calls for Daniel to come. It always comes to this. You got to call on the men of God. And in Daniel, it says in Daniel 5, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I don't know about you. I hope, I pray that when people look at my life, they can say, The light is in her. He was known. This was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Daniel is known as a man of light. I've heard of you, Daniel. You want to 
you want to, it's like the opposite of the promotion of the world. In the world, we want to, you know, keep moving up the ladder and self-promotion. In the kingdom, it's different. We are known by being people of light. And because Daniel lived in the light, it attracted the notice of the king. So you talk about growing in influence. Daniel became the third most important person in the land because of this. Why? Because the Spirit of God was in him. The light was in him. It gave him greater influence. You don't have to promote self to find greater influence. You live as a son of the light. You live as a daughter of the light, and you will find greater influence because of it. Isaiah 60, it gives that beautiful verse, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The Messiah has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. Listen, we see it. We see the darkness covering the land, and yet we don't fear, for the light has shone upon us, and the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Light attracts. And now, as Gentiles, we're part of this promise, right? Now, people that have never experienced the light of Jesus, that's who it's talking about. And those that have not been in the kingdom will now be drawn to you because you are bearers of light. You are bearers of light, and people will be attracted to the light in you, not to your words necessarily, but to the light that you release to them. And so we see the effects of light. What I want us to conclude with is the, the truth that the light has been given to us, and we are keepers of this light. We, there are responsibilities for us if we want to truly shine the light of Jesus. And I, the example I have for this is found in the lighthouses that used to be in operation before GPS and all of that, right? <clears throat> How many of you gone and explored a lighthouse? So you've heard a couple of you, not very many. It's, they're amazing, amazing things and amazing people. And so they're, they're very hardy people, and they do not have an easy life. And so I downloaded the instructions for light keepers in the United States. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want to give you an idea of what it is if you're going to be a keeper of the light and make a, a few applications to this. First of all, the lamp shall be lighted punctually every day at sunset and extinguished at sunrise. They shall be kept burning bright and clear every night from sunset to sunrise. How many of you have been intentionally every day letting your light out? 
in order that the greatest degree of light may be uniformly maintained, the wicks must be trimmed every four hours, clean glass chimneys, and special care must be taken to cut the tops evenly to produce a uniform flame. That means that we have to be very intentional about how we're letting the light shine, right? They don't just flip a light on. The keeper is held responsible for the careful watching and trimming of the light throughout the night. Okay, so he's awake watching it through the night and then is expected to be in attendance during the day, never absenting himself from duty without permission from the district inspector. Any negligence will subject him to the severest displeasure of the department. That one, like, struck me personally. I was like, wow, night and day he is in attendance. And when he, if he's not, if he leaves the post of shining the light, the greatest displeasure. I was just like, Jesus, I don't want your displeasure. I want to shine my light day and night, never leaving my post. The plate glass must be cleaned within and without by night as well as day. Polish and clean the reflectors. Put the light room in order, perfect order, it says, by 10 o'clock daily. And be very particular with the order and cleanliness of the buildings, apartments, and premises. So it wasn't just the light itself he had to keep in perfect order. It was every part, every building their home, every part of it had to be in perfect order. If there was movable machinery, like this, a spinning thing, they have to clean every part, keep it free from dust, well-oiled, uniform in its motions, without unnecessary friction of its parts. That one captured me because I thought, what would be a hindrance? Friction. I was thinking of friction in the body of Christ, how it would diminish when we're at friction with one another, in conflict with one another. It will affect our light. It will affect how people view us. Because how are we known to be Christians by our love? Unnecessary friction. We need to get rid of it. I'm not reading all of these. They had to keep extreme notes on everything, supplies, on ships passing. Every little thing happened. They were journaling and keeping notes of. Um, the light keeper shall under no circumstances use Tripoli powder for cleaning. They had specific cleaners they had to use. Any old thing would not do. And can I just say... There's only one that can cleanse us. <laughs> and there's, only, there's not any other thing that can wash us white as snow but the power of Jesus. The light keeper shall endeavor to keep in good order and repair the dikes enclosing the lighthouse grounds, the landing places, the roads leading to the lighthouse, the drains, along with every other thing placed under his charge. So now, that, now they've expanded it to all of the land, not just their home. And, you know, 
they did not get paid very much money at all, and most of them had to grow their own food. And the couple of lighthouses we visited, I'm saying I wouldn't want to live there. The wind that blows on those points where their homes are and where they're supposed to be growing gardens to feed themselves, uh, they were hardy people committed to their cause. And I heard somewhere that that it's amazing how many of their children and their children's children took up the post after them. And I'm like, what would cause them to do that? It's a hard life that there's no escape from. And yet, generation after generation after generation took up the cause. The lightkeeper is prohibited from carrying on any trade or business, whatever which will take him from the premises or in any other manner cause the neglect of his public duties. Wow, I think how many distractions do I have in my life that keep me from shining light? He has permission to go from home to draw his salary, to go pick up his salary, and also to attend public worship on Sunday, but no other occasion without the permission of his district inspector. So he can go get his paycheck, and he can go to church. Otherwise, he has to be at the lighthouse, keeping the light shining. The lightkeeper is required to be sober and industrious, orderly in his family, polite to strangers, and showing the premises at such hours as do not interfere with the proper duties of his office. Um, and then the lightkeeper must not, on any pretext, admit persons in a state of intoxication into the lighthouse. He is prohibited from selling any malt or spiritous liquors and from allowing any to be sold under his charge. They really are getting into minute detail about his life. He really is not a person of his own. He really belongs to the lightkeeper district. He's not his own person. And I think, how often do I live my life as my own person when really I belong? The Lord Jesus has paid for my life, and I belong to him. And then these instructions are to be hung up in a conspicuous place in the lighthouse and in the keeper's dwelling. The keeper is required to make himself perfectly acquainted with them. Wow, it reminds me a little bit of the command to the Israelites about posting, keeping the law before them, writing it on their doorposts. Have we made sure we're perfectly acquainted with the word of God? It was a serious business to be a light keeper, and it's a serious business for us to be one. And so often we live it like it's not a big deal, half-heartedly, like, whatever, just so I can live my life the way I want to, when really the goal is to be keepers of the light and shining it. And so in order to be the keeper, you know, I, one of them I remember there, that we talked to, like there cannot even be a speck of dust on that light, a speck of dirt on the actual light itself. And so it's not just a quick, you know, wipe down. I'm going to run my Swiffer duster over it. Not a speck of dirt can be found on that light. 
And so often we let this, the stuff of this world get on us. We, in 1 John, just to read these two verses, it says, He who says he is in the light, so you're proclaiming I'm going to be a light keeper, and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. You know, Jesus, it's interesting because all through the book of Acts, every time they have this spiritual interaction in a supernatural way, there's always light associated to it. If they're getting set free from prison, there's light. If they're being martyred, there's light. Every encounter, light was associated with it. And now... In the word, it's telling us if you want to live in the light, what is the things that are keeping you? They're associated with relationships. The thing that will keep you from shining your light is if you are in conflict with your brother. And if you read Philippians 2, it continues to talk about relationship with one another. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, in a crooked and perverse generation, we shine the, bright, the brightest. But what will keep us from shining are the complaining, the disgruntledness with one another. This is so important. Our relationship with one another is so important. It's so important that Jesus put it right after the greatest commandment, love your neighbor. Not if you like your neighbor, not if they treat you nice, not if they, you know, have never wounded you, love your neighbor. He gives no restriction for that, just to love. And this is such a big deal because it affects our ability to shine. And so we have this beautiful solution. If you're saying, if you, like when I, when I examine my heart, I and mean, I can usually, I can kind of get a sense of what's going on. I can feel like, how many of you are car people and you can feel, oh, that's like off a little bit. Or like Star Trekkies, right? The good captains, like they can, they can feel if it's like this minutia off the ship. They can sense that. I, as you grow in the Lord, you can kind of begin to sense when something is off in you. And I will come to the Lord and just, Lord, what's going on in me? Do I have something at odds with somebody? Am I offended? Am I doing, am I carrying an attitude I shouldn't? And I examine myself because I want my light to shine. And these things are hindrances to it. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, you're going to love this because it's going to inspire you all to go and do a fast. That, I heard a lot of uh's. <laughs> what? You don't just love fasting? No. I know. I only know one person that does. It's down there. In Isaiah 58, it talks about the perfect fast because the people were using it to serve their own purposes. They were not serving God's purposes, right? And so in verse 6, it says that this is the light that God has chosen. 
or the fast that God has chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, undo heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. This circles us back to our main text that Jesus gave. To be light, that men might see our good works and glorify the Lord. I was stricken by these verses again. I was saying, Lord, am I busy doing what I think I should do? Or have I given myself to breaking yokes, to sharing my bread with the hungry, to bringing to my house? I like to preach on hospitality because Americans are not hospitable people. Our culture is not. We don't like people to come into our homes. But the Bible commands us. It says, be hospitable. And in here it's saying, not just the people that you like to be around and hang out with. This is saying, bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, cover him then your light. I'm, I was thinking of all of the areas in my life that I'm believing for breakthrough, and I'm thinking, Lord, maybe the reason I haven't seen it is that I've not been walking this out in the fullness that you desire me to. I'm not looking for those that have lost their hope. I'm not looking for those that are so stricken in the poverty, not just physical poverty, but relational poverty. There are lonely people that are poor in spirit. They are poor in relationship and community, and they have no one. Am I bringing them in to my home, into my life? Because it's at that point that my light will break forth in the morning, that my healing will come, and it will come speedily. It's hard to share, shine the light if we're not with the people that need the light. The call to go to the dark places the call to go to the person that you struggle with the most in your job. You just do not like them and you avoid them. That's your place of darkness that you need to go and shine light in. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If we can just, I want to conclude today with the first song that we opened up with, please. I'm just going to read a couple of these verses to you. What I don't want you to leave here today in is feeling like, oh, man, I'm not shining very good. No. What I want you to leave is saying, great excitement. I'm a bearer of light. I have this calling to be a keeper of light, and I'm so excited to shine it. I'm so excited to get rid of hindrances to the shining of it. 
And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The one that spoke light now is shining light in you. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Listen, now's our time. The time of darkness is the time for the light. It's our time. You can, you can look poorly upon the, our culture and the world that we live in all you want. What should be happening is there should be this excitement rising in you. It's my time to shine. It's my time. It's getting dark out. It's my time to shine. It's getting dark out. I got to flip on the lights now because it's getting dark out. It's not the time to cower in a cave. It's time to flip on the light and let it shine. Darkness is a time for the lights. And it doesn't take a lot of light. I was going back for those of you that are Lord of the Ring followers. As they're headed down toward... Mordor, and they have to travel in the dark place. And there's this big old nasty gross spider. And the one gift they had been given of the elves was a star, the light of the star in this bottle. And they don't even really know why they're going to need that light. But they gave, the elf gave it to them. And then there comes the moment where they're in that dark place. And the enemies of the dark and that live in the darkness want to kill them. And all it takes is pulling out the light and shining it. That's all it takes. It doesn't take any great skill that we have. It just takes us holding up the light of Jesus. And when the light of Jesus is shining, the darkness flees. The darkness flees. And so will you stand with me today? Today is an all-church altar call right there. Because I'm believing that if you are here for service, that you are here because you want to be a light. And I want us to not be dimly lit lights. I want us to be piercing lights that penetrate the darkness and attract people into the kingdom. Amen. And so we're gonna, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to close out this with this song of declaration, just saying, Jesus, come and be the light inside of me. Amen. And so, Father, today, we just, as we are in the season where the days are shorter and darkness is creeping in, even as it's Halloween weekend, Lord, it's our time to shine. It's our time to shine your light. We do not fear darkness. We do not fear the deeds of darkness. For your light has overcome. Your light has overcome. Your light lives and resides in us. And I ask that today your people would be people of light. Sons and daughters of the day. Sons and daughters of the light. 
and there would be no hindrance, Lord. We just say that we want to be a people free of hindrances to your light, but we want it to shine brighter. We want it to shine greater. We don't want it to be dimly or twinkling or half flickering, but we want to be piercing lights, Jesus. Piercing lights, Jesus. And so would you do in us what needs to be done to shine brighter? We say here are our hearts, Jesus. We welcome you in to come and to shine in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.